never happened. Last time we had a huge fire, it was in 1871. And that 1.2 million hectares is 400 times higher than the 10-year average on the forest fires in Quebec. Welcome to Canusa Street, a podcast at the intersection of the issues and policies between Canada and the United States. Here are your hosts, Scotty Greenwood and Chris Sands. Welcome back to Canusa Street, everybody, or should I say bonjour tout le monde? We have a very special episode coming up. I'm Scotty Greenwood with the Canadian American Business Council, and I'm joined with the fabulous, wonderful co-conspirator, Chris Sands of the Wilson Center. Hey, Chris, how you doing? Hi, Scotty. Uh, I'm doing great with that uh, wonderful introduction. I'm, I'm walking on air. Walking on air. Well, you're walking on smoky air in Washington, D.C. this week, and that's part of our topic today. We, I'm excited for our conversation. We're joined with a distinguished Quebecer who knows a little something about uh, the Canada-U.S. relationship, about the forest industry, about the recent fires we had. And we want to hear about that, uh, that uh, are pretty impactful, actually. And uh, so anyway, we're going to have a really good discussion today, Chris. And with that, let me ask you to introduce our very special guest. I am delighted to be able to introduce to our listeners Jean-Francois Samaray, who has served as president and CEO of the Quebec Forest Industry Council since 2020. He previously served as the president and CEO of Quebec's Renewable Energy Production Association, known by its acronym AQPER. I don't know if you pronounce that, AQPER, uh, but he had that job for 10 years. Uh, Mr. Samaray earned his bachelor's degree in economics from the University of Sherbrooke in Quebec and pursued graduate studies in political science at the University of Montreal. He also received specialized training in community environmental law at the Catholic University of Louvain in Belgium and a master's in business administration from the Norwegian Business School. A man of action and reflection. I love that. I'm going to use that myself. Uh, maybe more reflection than action in my case. Uh, he has been invited to participate in the work of numerous working groups and strategic committees formed by various Quebec and Canadian government departments and ministries. Since 2015, he's also been a representative of the energy sector at the table of partners of the Société du Plan Nord, uh, the North Plan that Quebec has had for now quite a while, which he serves as vice president as well as being a leadership mentor for graduate students of the Norwegian Business School. And I particularly salute you for taking the time for the next generation. Uh, Mr. Samaray, welcome to the podcast. Well, my great pleasure being with you today. We're so happy to have you. And, you know, Chris, I think you be reflection, I'll be action. That's kind of how we how it goes anyway. Yeah. And Jean-Francois, our guest, is both, which is amazing. And Plan Nord, by the way, is really about the Arctic, isn't it? I think that's... Um, yeah, it is part of the development, uh, social, economical, and environmental development of northern part of Quebec. So lots of forests, lots of uh, wildlife, uh, lots of uh, First Nation in, uh, in uh, Quebecers. There and uh, so lots of possibility also in the mining. Uh, uh, critical minerals are there, and so uh, yeah, it's a huge part of uh, of Quebec, and it's really a laboratory of a new way of doing a long term sustainable development. That's so interesting. Well, but you were one of the 
impetuses to have you on Canusa Street is you were just in Washington and we were hoping to have you in studio and I think our schedules didn't align. Um, but you were in Washington, I think, for some softwood lumber talks. And for our listeners, softwood lumber is a trade dispute uh, that dates back forever. And we've done several Canusa Street episodes on just that trade dispute alone, uh, including having Ambassador Ramon Chrétien. So go back to our listeners um, and catch up on softwood lumber. But um, before you do that, we're going to have a wonderful conversation here with Jean-Francois. So what is the state of Canada-U.S. trade in lumber? And how was your trip to Washington last week? Let's start there. Well, the state of the discussion regarding uh, softwood lumber is that, uh, well, United States and uh, Canada, so the North America isn't self-sufficient in wood uh, anymore. So the demand due to uh, household uh, crisis, the demand is bigger than what we can supply. So there, so there's a big discussion uh, based on the fact that some uh, some wood producers in the U.S. are saying, well, uh, we've been treated uh, and they're pretending that they've been treated unfairly, that Canada is supporting uh, its market. And, uh, and so this is in front of uh, international panels, uh, Canada-U.S. Uh, uh, panels in order to, well, see first if that's true and second to see, well, what's the, uh, what's the impact? But one thing for sure is that for for the time being, uh, North America is importing some wood uh, from Europe and, and is now up to 8% of the market, which is something that is way above the de minimis uh, level, meaning that Europe can, could come up without any uh, duties on that wood. So it's part of the discussion. And uh, But by doing so, uh, one thing for sure is that the, the American consumer isn't getting softwood uh, cheaper and he's paying that that extra tax that is put it on wood and the price of U.S. wood is going uh, up due to that uh, tariff that is uh, imposed on Canadian wood. So who's benefiting from it? One thing for sure is the American sawmills are uh, receiving more than they should from the market due to the tax, but definitely uh, the uh, American way of living, the American dream of owning its own house is kind of jeopardized due to the fact that consumers are paying their wood uh, at a much higher price that they should. Uh, Mr. Summary, I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. It was one of our early episodes. We talked to Trent Lott, uh, the former Senate Majority Leader, about about softwood. And one of the things he he pointed to was that at a certain point, these disputes are solved politically you know they you have to get some politicians together and they they do a deal more than they are really resolved uh legally that you know you had to have some give and take and that required politics more than than sort of a, a tribunal or dispute resolution process now of course he's a politician so of course his view is politicians are central but do you agree with that perspective do you think this is one of those disputes we're going to have to put some political uh talent some political capital into in order to resolve softwood lumber or or is there a, a rule of law process that might might do it given the treaties that we have well, I think it's, both answers are, are correct, and both will happen because now we're having the first the, the first panels that are having their hearings, and, and their decision is uh, is final. So, therefore, if the panels come to a point that well, uh, uh, Department of uh, Commerce 
did some wrong calculation, they can send them back, and which is what we think we, that will probably happen on the uh, anti-dumping uh, first round. Uh, but then they'll come up with another decision, and then they'll come up kind of saying either Canadian paid too much and uh, Treasury must return that that that, that money to the Canadian uh, uh, sawmills, or they'll say that well they paid a proper amount, or uh, and then the Treasury will take the money, and then the petitioner will get nothing. So at some yeah. point, the, the, the coalition asked to their members to to uh, sign petition and in order to, to get some cash uh, at, at the end of the story. But there won't be any money in going to saw, uh, American sawmills unless there's a political decision, uh, unless there's a compromise that is made. So, so one day or the other, they'll have to... Take some some negotiating will need to take place in order to to get a deal, but uh, so far uh, Canada has always been uh, able to prove that it it would haven't been subsidized. So mm -hmm. it, it is kind of both. If it goes on the uh, uh, technical uh, road, uh, well then coalition will get nothing. And, yeah. and then at some point they, they'll be bored or they'll get some pressure and uh, they'll come up to the table. But so far, it seems that they're benefiting by the fact that, that the price of wood is higher, on, that it should be on the U.S. market. So no matter which road the, the, the final uh, solution is coming, for the time being, they're making more money. I have to say, I know how fluently bilingual you are because it's really hard to joke in another language. And, and you just said, the softwood people would be bored. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> well, yeah. just one, one final point. The thing is that, that that this entire dispute at a moment where North America isn't self-sufficient anymore is kind of a special discussion based on the fact that the Canadian and, uh, and U.S. wood industry, when it gets to equipment, when it gets to machinery, when it gets to engineering, when it gets to, to workers, when it gets to firefighting, uh, when it gets by supporting, uh, uh, usually it was Quebec that was supporting uh, the, the American uh, firefighting. Now it's the U.S. that is there. It's all integrated and it's all part of one big happy family. But but, well, but 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 then when it gets to softwood, uh, then the uh, Europe is coming on the free run. No taxes, no nothing. And I don't think that there's a lot of equipment that is sold from the U.S. company to, to Europe. So every every Q, uh, board fee that is coming from Europe is not supporting the industrial uh, capacity and the industrial uh, family of North America. So uh, at some point, it, it will have to be in the discussion politically. We're going to take a little break here, but when we come back, uh, we're going to transition from talking about trade and the commercial aspects of this industry to something that has hit a lot of us really hard in the last few days, and that's the smoke from these forest fires burning in Quebec. Back in just a moment. Are you red, white, and blue, or just red and white? Beaver or bald eagle? Ryan Reynolds or JLo? Canusa Street, a masterclass in cross-border relations. This is where Canada and the United States intersect on the policies and issues of our two great nations. But you know that already. That's why you're here. 
The question is, if you want more of this bilateral bonanza delivered directly to your inbox, and you know you do, how about signing up for Scotty Greenwood's weekly email updates on Canada-US relations? Head to cabc.co to sign up today. And now back to Canusa Street. Welcome back to Canusa Street, everyone. I'm Chris Sands, and I'm here with the great Scotty Greenwood, and we're talking with Jean-Francois Samaray, who is the head of the Quebec Forest Industry Association. Um, and uh, Scotty, over to you. Well, so thanks, Chris. I mean, we were talking about the lumber industry and how much sense does it make in this time of inflation with shortages and prices and all of that for the U.S. and Canada to be misaligned on something as fundamental to uh, the construction industry and housing as, as softwood lumber. So there's a trade dispute about that. We talked a little bit about that. But but Jean-Francois Samaray, I want to I ask you about how it's going with the fires um, in Quebec and Nova Scotia. You know, I feel like, sadly, we're used to fire, uh, fires from the West. You know, every year there are big fires blazing in the Pacific Northwest, and that's something we've become accustomed to. But th- this year, just if, in the last couple of weeks, if you lived in New York City or you lived in Washington, D.C., or places around all of a sudden, the air was unhealthy to breathe, and uh, schools were canceled, outdoor activities were canceled. Uh, you know, it was very difficult, and the only thing Americans knew about it was there were fires coming from Quebec. So how's it going, first of all? Um, are the fires under control? Is everybody safe? And then secondly, let's just talk about, about fire management and your views on that. Yeah, well, um on a Canadian perspective, we're already at 5.1 million hectares that, that are uh, burning. And an hectare is a, a square of uh, 100 meter by 100 meter. So, and they're still burning as we talk right now? They're still on fire? A lot of it are still burning and numbers wow. are going. For example, in Quebec, we're, we're, we've crossed the 1.2 million hectares burning. And, and this is Jeez. something that never happened. Last time we had a huge fire. Uh, it was in 1871. Not so sure that they were able to measure it, uh, but, but now we have satellites, we can track it. And uh, and that 1.2 million hectares is 400 times higher than the 10-year average on the forest fires in Quebec. So, wow. uh, yeah, it, it is definitely something. And, and now the... Uh, the, the all the industry uh was working hard supporting the, the firefighters equipments were were uh, uh re uh, oriented into uh uh supporting uh the, 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 the making making some roads for uh for the firefighters making sure that we were cutting uh fuel for for the fires so so industry was there because they live there and it's their their own community so they were fighting for their brothers sisters neighbors and everybody was there it, it, it was hard but it, it was something uh really that everyone's proud of now but now it comes uh, just like in any now where it's kind of a war against uh against fire now that we're kind of in some sort of uh getting traction and and getting uh, on the offensive um in order to to control these fires it is time to uh start thinking how we we're gonna get that uh that wood into the sawmills and it is 
uh, it is close to 10 times what the, 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 the industry is harvesting uh, annually. So we're not going to be able to to harvest everything. We're f- because we're at the the early stage of uh, of summer. It is at the uh, at the, at the repro- reproduction um, special moment for for the insects that are attacking the wood. So therefore, the the the, the insects uh, they don't care about if it's dangerous or not. I, I mean, they need to reproduce, so they're there and they're going yeah. in the fire and they smell that wood that that that, that the bark is uh, is burned so they're going there digging uh, holes and then laying their eggs and uh, and then uh, you have a board that uh, sooner or later and much sooner than later will be uh, chewed by by larvae and uh, and that board is not going to be uh, uh transformable for uh for softwood lumber uh, so the, the 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 challenge that we have is to identify which will be the the best uh, patch to uh, to harvest and to rec- recuperate, and we need to do so for environmental reason. Because if we're not stocking that carbon that hasn't burned, so it's the branch and 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 spine that that burned, but the, the tree r- remains there. So we need to to get it cut, get it processed in order to to stock the carbon into uh, construction. Otherwise, that carbon will be free to the air and will just exacerbate the the, the situation of the the CO two that is released into the atmosphere. So it's definitely for envi- environmental reason, but at the same time for economic reason that to in order to get some wood into the sawmills and to in order to get chips. For pulp and paper industry and for uh, panels, and it is really important to to do so. So, but it's this, it's such a huge scale that the industry and government need to sit together, make sure that all the gears are aligned, that there's a sufficient amount of oil into the into the the the, 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 the gears, and make sure that everything is fluid because uh, we're not going to get the two shots. We need to well, do just- the perfectly the first time. Yeah, well, just on that for a moment, is there, for those of us that are not experts in forest management practices, do we know yet, are there already lessons learned um, in Canada about um, forest fires? Like, are there things that, because of the historic nature of what just happened in Quebec, you already know today, okay, we're going to do this or that differently. Are we there yet? Or are we still kind of in the middle of the battle and it's too early to understand kind of what the, what the, what the lessons learned are? Well, there's one thing for sure is that the, we're in the Boreal Forest. And since it's Boreal Forest, it has been like that for a for thousands of years. That the nature has a reset button when the the trees are getting too old, and uh, nature just restarted the, the cycle by by coming with a fire that that burns the wood, that brings the insects, that decompose it, and, and that brings light to to soil. And, and then there are seeds that are released due to the fire, and and there's a new forest uh, that that was just starting. So that's one thing. But but the other thing that is that we've learned from California, and we need to learn from each other on both sides of the border. So we learned from the California fires that uh, and the Oregon's one that. You need to be to review the way that you're doing uh, forest work on the ground, the way that you manage the forest in order to remove the dead wood, at least from around the municipalities, make sure that you protect them as well. So you need to to 
put some money, and especially when you're on crown land, uh, the, the, the government owned the land. Uh, it was the same thing in California with uh, federal forests that were there. Uh, government needs to put money there in order to make sure that there it is properly managed and you remove the, the fuel from, from the, the ground. So with, with the healthcare, with the schools, with different uh, issues, uh, and especially having a, a 10 year average of uh, 2000 hectares of, of forest that has been affected by fire, government is just saying, well, forests don't vote. Uh, forest is not queuing in the hospital. So therefore, when I get, need to do the budget, well, there will be so much and no more for forest and management. Now, but now we see that that with the the air quality, with the uh, security of people, uh, with with, with the, and we've seen in Fort Bankery uh, uh, last year or two that that the entire uh, municipality just burned down. So there's hidden cost of not doing proper forest management. So the government was was used to see the how much is the real cost, but there's a cost of not doing it. And we kind of forgot what was that cost. And I guess that will be part of the lessons in Canada, but I guess in the U.S. as well, that uh, there's a cost of action, but there's also one of not acting on it. Um, Mr. Samory, we, we have a... Uh, kind of a, a recurring theme on Canusa Street. Really, it's the interaction of the Canadians and Americans. And as your answer sort of highlighted the way that we were learning from California and, and Quebec was picking up good forest practices, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how connected this industry is in the United States and Canada. I've seen some reports of American firefighters going to help with the wildfires. I know there's a lot of scientific data about forest management that's shared. Can you talk a little bit about... Uh, maybe dispel the myth that this is a Canadian industry versus an American industry, which is the narrative that comes out of trade, and maybe give us a sense for how the industries talk to each other and uh, how we learn from each other and cooperate in, in forest management here in, in North America. Well, there's certainly a line on, on a map in between Canada and U.S., but but I think that is the only place there that there is one. Because uh, really... We can see that uh, on the firefighting, there's practice, there's a rehearsal, and there, there's lessons learned on the both sides of the borders. When it gets to sawmill equipments, there's company from uh, from Quebec selling to uh, to uh, to uh, southern states where they they want to get to artificial intelligence and so on. And the same thing that there are American companies selling to to the U.S. There's best practice that, that are learned. Uh, there's a training for a forest engineer. The, uh, we have a North American uh, uh, different association. And uh, so, no, I, I would say that it's really when it gets to knowledge, when it gets to best practice, it is a North American uh, industry. It is a North American uh, way of sharing uh, sharing thoughts. When it gets to forest certification, is the same thing. There's a it's it's based mostly done on, on a continental basis, of course. There is some regional adaptation. There is some regional reality. Uh, I mean, forests in New uh, in Arizona or New Mexico isn't the, isn't the one in the Northern Territories. That's for sure. But uh, at the same time, it's not the, the same forest as in Maine. So or uh, New Hampshire. So I guess they, they, these are some realities. But but there's a lot of work that is done uh, together. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and I, I, that, that's reassuring because that's what you would expect. To what extent do you think that our governments are having a positive effect in, in talking about some of these issues? You, we were talking earlier about sustainability. And yes, uh, forests are a renewable resource, but it does take planning and it does take commitment. Are, are, we, are our governments doing the right things to support the kind of conversations we need to have going forward to keep our forests uh, there for the next generation and the generation after, while we're also producing the kind of wood products that can make homes and so on. It, uh, is government here just dealing with disputes, or is there real uh, a role for them in thinking about how we sustain this this resource we're lucky to have in North America? Well, there's only one KPI that matters for government. It's being reelected. So, so <laughs> therefore, based on that, uh, reality of of uh, of a governor or a uh, representative of one region and a deputy of another region in Canada is uh, it could be different. Uh, there's local uh, issues that are important, but when it gets to what IPCC is kind of saying that you you need to do more forest management, uh, you need to provide more. Uh, sustainable product uh, out of sustainable forest, forestry managed uh, or forest managed uh, sustainably in order to reduce uh, GG materials in construction and in order to uh, replace uh, fossil uh, fuel. Uh, so forest is all doing this. And when it gets to, to the, 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 the president's office in, in the U.S., we, we can see that there's an executive order kind of saying that uh, it was President Biden that, that sent some uh, some troops into Quebec and some firefighters and some equipment to support and to uh, kind of uh, have that same f- friendship. But you need to realize that smoke is not going to stop at the border. And so are insects and, and so are flooding and so on. So there's a, a continental base. But at some point later down the road, Years come uh, trade, and when 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 there's trade, there's some uh, there's some other disputes, and there's some mechanism on the U.S. that you can get some petition, and then comes um, commerce, and then there then so I, I guess when it gets on the environmental side, when it gets on education, when it gets into research, it's really it, it benefits to everyone. When it gets to the industry. Well, it's uh, Joe the plumber's job, and is voting for me, and therefore, so I guess it's both of them. Yeah. So we're coming to the end here. So I just have one more question, um, Jean-Francois. This is so interesting to talk to you, and I've learned a lot just in our short time. But if you um, you were in D.C. just recently, if you had one message that you want every single person uh in Washington DC in particular to understand about um, about what's going on with the with your industry what would that be well i would say that the forest industry in north america is pretty well integrated and it should act as one uh, continental industry so therefore uh it benefits uh, to to all and it benefits to voters that are also uh People that that own house or that want to have one that, that that taxes aren't good for consumers. So at some point, if we need to to go into a more sustainable uh, in a, in a more sustainable world, 
Uh, well, forest products are, are definitely part of the solution. It's not me, it's not you, it's the IPCC that, that is saying it. So therefore, we need to uh, look at forest on a continental basis and get rid of these uh, trade disputes. Get rid of the trade disputes. Okay. Well, I think that's a great way to wrap it up. Um, thank you so much for joining us. This is this is interesting. And again, we've we've had a lot of conversations on Canusa Street about softwood lumber trade, about the forest industry, but but never more poignant than now coming through these forest fires. Um, so thank you for thank you for that context as well. It's my real pleasure, and uh, feel free. Uh... Just call me and it will be my pleasure to have a discussion with you again. You're welcome anytime on Canusa Street. Chris, it's always interesting on Canusa Street. It's it as I just said, it's more poignant though when uh, in Washington, DC we were breathing very dangerous air because of forest fires in Quebec. Like it just happened, and not just in Washington. But, uh, you know, in New York and in many places, in Can- not only in the United States, but in Canada. So forest practices, forest fires, all of that super relevant to us today. Absolutely. I mean, I, growing up in Detroit, I remember the acid rain debates because we were sending things across the border that way. And every year we talk about polar vortexes that changed the, the climate here in the winter and have brought us some really sh- shocking temperatures. No matter how you imagine the border works, the weather ignores it and the wind ignores it. And, and as a result, we, we really do have to find a way to cooperate in dealing with the effects of these things. And it's in our interest to do so. But uh, I think so many of us, we don't think about what's going on on the other side of the border. It's not in our news until it is. And then we're, it's just great that we have relationships and we have professionals like Jean-Francois Samre who are ready to kind of knit together a cooperative effort and and try to manage our forests, in this case, uh, responsibly. That's exactly right. Well, look, it's always good to talk with you, to build a log cabin with you on Canusa Street, whatever whatever the case may be, Chris. Thanks so much, as as always. Thank you very much. It's nice to to have someone who can help us see the forest from the trees. Uh Aha, there we go. All right. See you next time, my friend. This podcast is brought to you by the Canadian American Business Council and the Wilson Center. If you like this episode, help others find our show and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.